I'm sorry. I can't find where it was. I didn't highlight it. I was hyped for a second. I know. And it was so like, it was exactly what Laura was saying. And I was like, Laura, are you Maria Montessori? <laughs> she is reincarnated right here. He is. That is so sacrilegious to say, you guys. <laughs> like, Maria would be rolling right She'd now. She'd be like, you don't know anything. <laughs> this is an early episode when Megan accused me of not even being Italian. Do you remember that? Are you even <laughs> I Italian? Do. I remember that. <laughs> and now I'm Maria reincarnated. <laughs> Welcome to Montessori Moms in the Wild. We are three trained Montessori guides and new moms. We are not here to be your guide per se, but simply to share, commiserate, and even inspire each other on this wild journey. Each episode, we will discuss a different element of the Montessori philosophy, explaining why it is one we find so important and interesting, and then take turns being blatantly honest about how we succeed and struggle with these practices in real life. There is no Montessori album for parenthood, and we are certainly in no shape to write one. Our hopes are that together we can remind ourselves of what is important to us as Montessorians and as mothers in a way that might help other parents, or at least entertain them. So sit back and relax as we take Montessori out of the textbooks and into the wild. Welcome, everyone. My name is Rachel. I am a mother of two with Montessori training and infant toddler, which is birth to three years old. I am here with Laura, mother of one, soon to be mother of two with her Montessori training in lower and upper elementary, which is ages six to 12, and Megan, mother of two with her training in lower elementary, ages six to nine. She is also currently working on her primary training, ages three to six. Let's start by catching up. What has everyone been up to this week? I missed you guys. I feel like I've been gone for a really long time. That's true. I forgot we did the last one without you, which is the first one we've ever mm-hmm. done like completely without yeah. you. Just forgot. I just, <laughs> it's not <laughs> memorable for you. Look on Megan's face. <laughs> Megan's like, screw you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I I feel like Gosh, so much has happened because I had a nice little sleepover weekend with your daughter and um, the chaos of three toddlers. And right after that went to my in-person training for like a five-day just whirlwind. And then immediately came back and started my practice teaching in a classroom. And also my husband is gone, so I'm solo parenting. So there's just... It's a lot and I'm not okay. No. I'm not okay. No. <laughs> it's more than a lot. It's I don't way know too much for any one human, normal human <laughs> to. Yeah, it, it is a lot. And then it was also my daughter's birthday. It's like a lot of stuff happening in a short amount of time. I mean, overall, it's been really nice to be back in the classroom and to be working with the kids and working with the materials again and to kind of put into practice all the things that I've been learning, which has been really fun. So yeah, I'm tired, but also it's worth it. I'm having a good time and I feel like it'll lend itself a lot to these conversations that we're going to be having over the next few weeks in getting into kind of some of the the nitty gritty of the Montessori method. So I think it's I think it's good. I'm excited. Like I said, I do it for all of you. (laughs) (laughs) Megan is an actual zombie right now for all of us. For you. Do it for you. Well, 
If you were listening to the last episode, you'll know that we both shouted you out and said that you are the best human. So you are. I did listen. I did listen. And I was giggling to myself because I loved it. I loved every second of it. <laughs> I listened to it on repeat. I've played that I part only listened every to it day. four times. <laughs> I didn't listen to the rest of the episode. I just stopped there. I was like, oh, this isn't about me anymore. I don't care. Boring. Done. Uh, so we, we had our almost three-year-old three on Thursday, his first ever really birthday party because the world has like shut down since we had babies. And, yeah. so, you know, this was like the first time everybody was well and we all have moved on and are living normally again. And it was just the best ever. We definitely talked it up. Like we're like, you know, you're having a party, your friends are coming, da, 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 da. And my mother and sister did these huge balloon arches and balloons literally, I mean, literally all over my house. And it was just, it was the best. We had Chick-fil-A, his favorite meal. <laughs> it was so fun just to see. I mean, he was so happy his teacher came and she's also my really good friend. And of course, Laura's daughter came, Megan's family missed out, but it was just so good. I mean, he was just so happy and to see like the smiles and him still talking about it like my friends came here I had so much fun it was just it warmed my heart so it was all worth it even though I was so flipping tired after everybody left Saturday I'm like oh my god I need to sleep you are looking very cozy what do you have going on there I have my barefoot dreams blanket wrapped around me Ooh. It's luxurious. Yeah, she's wrapped in some kind of fur blanket. Wrapped in swaddling clothes. You look like a baby polar bear. (laughs) It is cold in the playroom. It sits over the garage. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like, it's a little chilly up here. We look very cozy. Yeah, so I will then just round it out by saying, so if anyone's been looking at our Instagram lately, (laughs) then you may already know that our firstborn children all have birthdays within an 11 day span. So Megan's firstborn was born first. And then a couple days later, Rachel's firstborn. And then a couple days later, my firstborn. That's how we're all bestest friends. Yeah, that (laughs) is what actually joined us forever and ever. Amen. Because like Rachel said, shortly thereafter, a global pandemic. I mean, we already had the benefit of like we worked together. So we saw each other as pregnant people all the time and got to like kind of commiserate about being pregnant and blah, blah, blah. But then we were going through parenthood in complete isolation yeah together if you will like we got to kind of be in each other's bubbles so our children have literally been each other's best friends like pretty much from the womb yeah well and I was kind of like reminiscing back to when we all found out that we were pregnant at the same time I had taken a pregnancy test and I had found out that I was pregnant and we had gone to this Um, Someone was retiring or going to a different school. I can't remember. And so we went out to drinks to kind of celebrate and say goodbye. And everyone was at a table and everyone got up to go get their beers because it was like a brewery or something. And I didn't get up and Laura didn't get up. We were the only two at the table. And I looked at her and I was like, I know why I'm not going to get a drink. And she was like, well, I haven't taken a a pregnancy test, but I feel like I might be. And I was like, well, I am. And you were like, what? (laughs) And you were like, I have to go right now. And you like literally left. I did. I left right then to go (laughs) home and take take a test. test. It was positive. That was at the end of the school year. And so coming in after the summer to our first 
week of school or you have all your meetings and you're with all of the teachers and the kids aren't there yet. And Rachel was sitting in front of us and had just a bag of candy (laughs) our gummy worms or hot tamales yeah not like a bag of candy but like a duffel of bags of candy (laughs) (laughs) and I was like what's going on here and they had everyone announce and there was actually four of us another one of our January babies friends all stood up and realized that our babies were all due within just a couple weeks of each other crazy and um and yeah, and so we were bonded together for life. But I was thinking about those stories. It's like, oh, feels like yesterday. I know. I was saying I, I still lament that we didn't snap a picture of mm-hmm. us all pregnant, pregnant for the first time together. Mm-hmm. And I actually did recently have a listener make a comment that she understands and respects that we are very private about our kids. But they were kind of wondering, like, but how old are your kids? So our firstborns are all by the time this airs, three. Mm-hmm. So we have three-year-olds. We officially will have three majors. And then the second born for each family is is staggered. So Megan will have a two-year-old in March, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Rachel, is she already eight months? She's eight the months, baby? yeah. And my second is coming in March, right around the time that Megan's second turns to. So the second born children in each family are a little bit spaced out, but we'll all still be in the same plane pretty much at the same time, which is still very convenient for us. Mm-hmm. And each a boy and a girl. Yeah. yeah and we each had a so boy funny. and a girl, which is very cool. So yeah, that's what we are working with at home. And that has been, I think, a big all-consuming thing for this week's Sharon is that we all have officially hit the three-year-old birthday and are finally going to be able to also kind of embrace this idea of a birthday party because that was just not an option for first birthdays and second birthdays, but for third birthdays it is. So that has been just really cool to see because like Rachel said, my daughter got to go to her son's birthday. I did not. Unfortunately, I had a work thing. I do like a certain amount of times in the month and it happened to fall on exactly that Saturday. It's actually a Montessori play date that I host at our gym. And if you came, thank you for coming. Yeah, actually, that's a good point because at least one of the people who came is a listener (laughs) of the podcast. So thank you. You're awesome. But I had to go out and do that. My daughter got to go with my husband who also had a great time. He was so nervous. He was so, so, so nervous going and he like jumped out of bed before his alarm even went off, got in the shower and came out and was like, okay, so I have some questions. <laughs> like, what if I say a swear word? What if this happened? What if, what if she cries? What about, and I was like, babe, please, you're okay. It's okay. Oh, okay. You're going, I'm like, you're going to Rachel's well, house. Well, she came it's in okay. here and she was like, this is where we go to the playroom, daddy. This is where we do our work. Like, don't, <laughs> yeah. don't even look back. We're good. We, we know our routine here. I know here. what I'm doing. Yeah. Basically, thanks for the ride. Yes. I'm good to yes, go. Pretty much. But since then, obviously, she has not only gushed about how great his birthday was, but she's super jazzed now realizing that she's going to do one too very soon. So yeah, that was just a really sweet and all consuming thing. It's a roller coaster of emotions. I said when we first got on this call that I was tempted to ask why they can't stay little forever. But we also are all very painfully aware that it's because we would die. <laughs> we would not survive yeah. it. We were just lamenting that none of our three children have slept through the night in like yeah, a month. what happens to three-year-olds guys <sighs> they stop sleeping yeah napping and oh, nighttime so sleep hard. are both just a complete crapshoot yep. so this is why they have to grow up <laughs> i get it but still it's a lot it's a lot we, of emotions. we can't stay here guys i won't make it <laughs> gotta go gotta go <laughs> 
Okay, should we hop into the topic? Laura, you want to start us off? Yes, I will. Okay, so we mentioned a couple times, I think, at this point that we were gearing up to discuss more academic things than we have thus far. We put out some question boxes, and it turns out a lot of you guys do want to know a little bit more about the academic applications of Montessori. What does it look like? How is it tackled? What is the scope and sequence? So how does it unfold? from birth up through the end of formal education. So we're going to attempt to talk about that. And we figured we were going to start with math. What does math look like in the Montessori curriculum? It's one of our favorites for sure. I I don't actually think I've ever had a student that didn't list math as a favorite subject too. So I feel like it is an exciting place to start. There's just a lot of magic in the math curriculum. I feel like also very transformational for the adults. Like I know we haven't gotten into it yet. And I, I think we're going to try our best to do it justice. It's really hard to do it over audio when one of the main principles is having it be concrete, but we're going to do our best to answer all of your questions, but it is really transformative. I will get into this, but I was always under the impression that I was really bad at math and I always really struggled with it, kind of moving out of elementary and moving through the lower elementary curriculum. I at one point cried. (laughs) Oh, yep. (laughs) Because I got it like for the first time in my 20s, I understood. Yeah. And I realized I wasn't bad at math. I just didn't get it the way that it was being taught and that I'm not, I'm not stupid, (laughs) you know? Yeah. We'll get into it, but it's, it's really transformative for the adult as well, which I think is really beautiful. It's true. It's definitely true. I've said many times, I wish I had learned math this way. Yeah. It's never too late. It's never too late. We are lifelong learners, guys. Everybody's going to start giving me their math lessons. (laughs) Rachel's like, I'm going to start right now. (laughs) I need all the Ellie and Yui math lessons. (laughs) Yeah. So for the sake of time, the best plan is going to be to split this up so that today we're going to talk some philosophy and then we're going to go up through kind of what this looks like at the toddler level. So Megan and I will kind of tackle some of the philosophy and then Rachel's going to take over and okay, what would that look like in her classroom? We'll probably stop there for today's episode. We'll come back and talk about children's house or primary ages three to six, do a whole chunk on that and then so on and so forth. So for today... We'll start with explaining that, like Megan said, we all have our history with math and it has kind of shaped how we see ourselves. For some of us, math came very easily and quickly. For others, I almost venture to say most of us, math was a sore spot in our educational experience. And if you struggled with math, there's a good chance it became a defining part of how you see yourself. I'm just bad at math. Math is not for me, et cetera, et cetera. Something so amazing about the Montessori method is that she approached mathematics with this universal idea that all humans have a mathematical mind. That's right. We are all actually quite good at math. Our mind craves it and we use it every single day. Maria Montessori borrowed the term mathematical mind from Blaise Pascal. Pascal? Pascal? Pascal, I think. Pascal? Mm-hmm. Sounds French. It is. He is a French philosopher, mathematician, and theologian. All right. Apologies, Blaise. If I've, <laughs> I'm sure you're not alive anymore. But yeah. Um, so she borrowed that from Blaise Pascal, as well as the idea that humans are born with this logical mind, and we use that every day. I mean, that's literally a survival tool. Our human tendencies, our inner drives, they naturally allow us to see the world through this mathematical mind. We use math every single day in terms of clarity, 
order and organization. We need it to abstract in our environment. Math helps us to develop good judgment, to assess situations that we're in, and ultimately to thrive. Formal math was developed for some pretty simple purposes like tracking crops, especially when culture started to travel and trade with each other, tracking the passage of time, keeping track of your livestock, a lot of tracking. In the past, only noble people would have had access to formal mathematical training, and it was not accessible to people in lower classes as means of keeping control basically over the lower classes. In the elementary level, as part of the cosmic curriculum, the history of math in terms of numbers and quantities and where they came from and how they've evolved and how we got to the place that we are now is one of the major great lessons, as they're called. There are these five great lessons in the cosmic curriculum that kind of take this huge backstory and make it very entertaining and attainable to children. So children are completely enthralled by this history of numbers And this is yet another way that the concept is made tangible and understandable to a child, rather than just being this heady, abstract part of life with no real connection to our daily lives, which again, I think is how most of us felt about math for a long time. Mm -hmm. Megan, I'll kick it over to you. Kick it over here. So Maria Montessori believed that when children were given mental mathematics, it divorced them from their naturally mathematical mind. Math is part of everything we do as humans, and she believed that we needed to grow in a slow, patient, and natural way. Development is slow and needs to have a foundation of support and nurturing from the environment. Instead of growing beautiful trees slowly from tiny seedlings, we are nailing dead pieces of wood to a tree and calling it a day. That is exactly, that's from a metaphor that Maria Montessori used. She talked about how when we teach mental mathematics, it's like nailing dead pieces of wood to a tree. And saying that it's thriving. (laughs) As we approach this, we're talking about really laying a solid foundation for the children. So we're going to take a deep dive into the Montessori curriculum at each level, starting with toddler. Through each area of the classroom, we always talk about exposure and giving children concrete experiences. It is no different when it comes to math. It's almost most important when it comes to math. Math in a Montessori classroom speaks to our human tendencies for exactness, order, and movement. And if you are curious about human tendencies, we have an episode for you. We have three episodes for you on that. Yeah, we do. First and foremost, mathematical concepts are to be handled concretely before moving to abstraction. So many of us started with abstraction, writing on paper. That's not how we're going to do it in a Montessori environment. At a very young age, the children are literally holding materials in their hand that are symbolic for a mathematical concept. Maria Montessori called these materialized abstractions. The idea of them mastering the skill without assistance of materials is what we mean by abstraction, which is where many of us started our math journey with no real concrete foundation beforehand. Our goal is to offer concrete experiences first to lay a strong foundation. Before we break down and explain the curriculum in more detail at the toddler level, we wanted to share some of the characteristics of Montessori math materials. They are exact. They have control of error. They are pleasing to the eye. 
They are consistent. They move from concrete to abstract, and they move from simple to complex. And if any of those things feel unfamiliar to you, we will get into what that means and how it looks with the math materials. So Rachel's going to start us off with toddler and how we would approach math with young babies and toddlers. Yeah, so before I jump into this, I just want to say this is not like the rest of the levels in Children's House in LE and UE. I'm not giving actual math lessons in a toddler classroom. I don't want you to give math lessons to your toddler or to your infant. You're doing normal things in life that you're not even probably realizing that are setting them up for the math that they will later learn. It, it all connects. Yeah. And I feel like going kind of back to our little intro, the way that we would approach it is like Laura said, it's practical. We use math in a practical way, just the same way that, you know, back in the day they would use math to track their, I mean, we still do to track crops or trade that we want to approach math in a really practical way with our toddlers. Our hope is that you're going to listen to Rachel explain how she's approaching math with toddlers and realize that you are already doing Mm -hmm. most of this stuff, Mm -hmm. guys. Good job. (laughs) Yeah. There are not explicit Montessori materials at this level. This is very, very, very foundational work that you like who said, are already doing. So go ahead, Rachel. So infants are born with this tendency, which Marie Montessori called the mathematical mind, which we spoke to before. From birth, infants observe and respond to physical relationships in their environment in order to be able to orient themselves to the environment and to make sense of it. So they assess, they measure, they hypothesize, order, and classify as they explore their environment with their senses and learn how to operate in their environment. So when a child's crawling, They're figuring out how do I pull up on that? How do I bend back down without falling? I mean, these are these are all things that are connecting to that mathematical mind. So to crawl or walk from one spot to the next involves assessment and calculation. So up to three years of age, this is done unconsciously and by using their senses is what we're working with really from that birth to the three years is just really using their senses through this. Unlike other levels in the toddler environment, we're not giving math lessons, which I already said. We're providing experiences of mathematical relationships. It is more so indirect preparation for math. So the Montessori materials provide experiences with dimension and form, sequencing, patterns, order, and comparison. They also encourage reasoning and calculation. So in the toddler I want you to think about your toddler at home if you have one, maybe your infant at home if you have one, and your daily activities when I'm speaking to this, or maybe what you have in your house when I speak to this. I'm going to share examples of things you probably already have that you don't even know are kind of setting up with that mathematical mind. So the Montessori Environment and Program, every Montessori toddler program is providing experience in shape and space time and predictability, which enhances our working memory. So that's having a routine in place at home is right there. They don't really have a concept of time at this, but they have a predictability. If you have a routine after snack, you wash your hands, you go back to the playroom. There's a predictability in your schedule if you're consistently doing the same thing every day, which in a toddler environment, we do have a schedule that we follow every single day. Yes, things could change, absolutely, but on a normal basis, they know what comes next, and that's enhancing our working memory, which is a 
part of the mathematical mind. That's such, I'm sorry, yeah. that's such a mind-blowing concept though. <laughs> think about, like yeah. we don't think about, we think about the predictability of the routine. You know, we've talked a lot about how that plays into their sense of order and how it just makes everything like feel easier and safer. But the idea that it is actually enhancing your ability to have a working memory, which is something you absolutely will need by the time you're getting to me in lower elementary and now you're doing math operations and working with math materials that have a tiny little pieces that move 10 different ways and you need to remember where you are in your process. Mm -hmm, yeah. The fact that that work started when you were 18 months old and understanding that there's more or less a routine to your day and you can predict what it is. That's mind blowing. That's it is so mind cool. Blowing. Especially, I think it's really funny that we're talking about this too, because when we put out our question box on Instagram about what people wanted to hear about with math, someone was like, well, I'd really like it if you did an episode on daily routines. <laughs> and it's so cool that if you are really working on having a predictable daily routine, you are setting a solid foundation for math. Yep. That's so cool. So food preparation, that's something else we really talk about a lot in a toddler Montessori environment. These activities are very important because you're providing experience with measuring, with quantity, with sequencing. So, I mean, the lesson in my classroom, you go to the fridge, you open the fridge, you get the cheese out of the drawer, you open the cheese, you put it on your tray, you go and sit down, you cut your cheese, you eat your cheese, you clean your tray, then you put it in the dish pan that we clean later that day. You go back, clean your area. If there's anything left, push your chair in and that's the lesson. So there's a sequence there. You can't you can't skip a step or it's not going to work. Yeah, there's an order of operations, which again, later is going to become PEMDAS and, you know, these really advanced mathematical things. You have to do things in a certain order to get a certain outcome. If you don't get the cheese in the beginning, you're not going to be able to cut the cheese. <laughs> so it, it's it's the sequence. And then, of course, typically in, in my classroom, and it varies per classroom, per program, we try to do one kind of cooking activity a week or a food tasting. And that is when we're measuring, we're maybe counting. I have two eggs, one egg, put it in, two eggs, put it in. I'm just showing them I have one egg. In it goes. Now I had two eggs. You see the two yolks in my bowl? There's two eggs there. And it's just practical. It's just practical. Yeah. It's a practical experience. Yeah. Puzzles. That's another one. You want to say something, Megan, before I move on? Oh, I was just thinking about how much more just rooted in real life, looking at two yolks in a bowl, even if you're not really sure what two is or what that word means. Yeah. To experience it first, because I think that as parents, a lot of times we want to do right by our kids and we want to give them the biggest leg up. And I know for me, if I wasn't in this Montessori world and talking about my negative relationship with math, mm -hmm. I might feel like I need to get them on it now yeah. and I need to be teaching them their numbers and I need to, you know, count to 10. We're going to practice and hear these flashcards and really making sure that they're able to do it because I didn't have a solid relationship with math and I want them to. And I feel like it's such a weight lifted off for us to know that if we can ground these in real life experiences for our little, little ones that we're doing it completely perfectly. Right? Yeah. Isn't that so ironic that basically what we're saying is less flashcards and little Einstein time, more cooking in the kitchen, more mm -hmm. playing with sticks outside, you know, like yeah. just more hands-on practical experiences are actually laying more 
groundwork Mm -hmm. than we ever would have given it credit for. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's me never actually understanding math. (laughs) Yeah, it's probably what it actually is. Yeah, it totally is. Yes. Yep. Puzzles. I'm sure you all have puzzles in your home as they pick up a puzzle piece. That's one to one correspondence. That's something that happens later. You're picking up one puzzle piece, you're putting it in that puzzle place hole i don't i don't know <laughs> i don't know how you, how else what to say is that? the right word what is for the, that what's the right word for that inset oh, oh yeah yeah duh. okay inset. <laughs> the place hole sounds right to me put, like, I like, put it in that hole guys <laughs> put it in the inset well i was actually because this has been on the top of my mind lately of trying to explain math over a podcast <laughs> and my son is really really interested he's 22 months now he's really really into putting on his shoes. He wants to put on shoes all day long. That's all he wants to do. But sometimes he puts on a shoe and then he tries to put on another shoe Mm. on top of it. And that's what you're talking about. That's one-to-one correspondence. One shoe for one foot. And that's what they really are figuring that out right now. And, And it's something that we take for granted so much. But that is a mathematical concept. Oh, yeah. You can't put two shoes on one foot. Right? No, it's going to carry into everything. When we teach multiplication with a checkerboard, one of the main rules is that each place value may have one number in that mm-hmm. box. When you are dividing, you can give one cookie to each friend until you've run out. Like this, mm-hmm. this is huge. This carries yeah. on to everything. It's like also matching cards. We in, in our classrooms, we have exact matching object to picture card. That's one to one again. So it's just little nuances like that, that I'm sure you're doing at home that you just haven't even realized. Washing hands, cleaning dishes, washing clothes, folding that washcloth. That's another experience of sequencing. I know in my classroom and previously at home, I actually don't have them up right now because we're kind of past that toileting point. But before I did have like the toileting card thing, like we go in the bathroom, you pull down your pants, you sit on the toilet, like the sequence of what to do when you're using the bathroom and the visual kind of pictures for him to see when we were doing that. Another example of sequencing. Yeah, you can't pee before you pull down your <laughs> pants. That's an important step that needs to be taken first. I mean, you can, but... <laughs> I mean, you can. <laughs> we were just talking about that before we started have. recording, too. That may you have been can. a concession of mine at least once. But you will have a different <laughs> yeah. outcome. You're going to have You're going to have to start that sequence over again. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Sand play, dirt play outside, you're filling buckets, you're maybe providing quantity, volume, weight, you're maybe measuring how much sand can I scoop into this bucket. Songs, poems, finger plays provide experience with numbers. A lot of times I I sing a song, one little finger, one little finger, one little finger, tap, tap, tap. There's my finger. I'm tapping one-to-one correspondence right there. When I went back and was writing the script and pulling from my album and pulling from notes in my classroom and stuff at school, I was like, look at this. Like look at all this foundational work. I need to print this out and give every parent in my classroom because it never fails. You go into conferences and they're like, well, they can count to five or they can do this. And I'm like, we don't need that. They're doing it every day. They're doing it at home. They're doing it at school and you're not even realizing it. And it's setting them up to be successful later. 
Yeah. And being able to say one through 10, it's just memorization. Exactly. Of a sound. Yes. I know sounds that come in this order. These sounds go in this order. That does not necessarily mean they truly understand. And something that I see a lot when children haven't figured out that correspondence yet and haven't figured out what the quantities actually mean, you'll see them counting like, one, two, three, as they're pointing to one thing, mm-hmm. four, five, six, four, yeah. seven, nine. And they're just saying words. And obviously, we have talked about how language is amazing and important, but let's not confuse language mm-hmm. and actually understanding mathematical yeah. concepts. So, yeah, they can come up to you and be like, hey, count to 10, my child's a genius. But if they don't really understand what that means, then this, this is how like what Rachel's doing, this foundational work, this is how we prepare them instead of, you know, reciting one through 10, which if you're doing that, it's fine. Like it's like a song, yeah. you know, it's like the ABCs. Yeah, it <laughs> is. Know? Yeah. doesn't mean that they know how to spell or they know how to read, but it's a fun song, you know. It's true. And that's a, this is a good time to put in that little caveat that we try to put in every episode, which is that if you're, if you're doing those things, if you've busted out flashcards, if you're super proud that your kid is counting one to 10 at the age of two or one plus one is two. Yeah. We're not at all shaming you. We're not saying you've done anything wrong. We're just encouraging you to maybe understand that it doesn't necessarily mean what you might think that it means Mm -hmm. and that that's okay though, that that's totally okay. And maybe it does. Maybe your kids got it. My daughter shocked me one day when she said, mommy, I have one boo-boo and you have one boo-boo. Together we have two boo-boos. I was like, that's addition. You just did addition. You just did simple addition. And that to me was like, I was floored by that. But then the next day, her grandfather asked her, what's one plus one? And she looked at him like, what are you saying to me? You know, it's just like, I guess we're just encouraging you to see it differently at this age and that it's way less it's our seedling it needs to be yeah these are tiny simple seedling that seems like it's nothing and and again this is why we love toddler teachers so much that they get paid nothing and they work so hard (laughs) is that this tiny little seed is being sown that is going to be just this beautiful, thriving tree. And even though it seems simple, even though it seems like it's not important, promise you it is. And if we can just like fast forward for a second, Laura and I work with older children and children who have the mental capacity to do math, but don't have a solid idea of how to sit through a long process because they've never done it before, and they don't have the patience or the concentration or the independence to do it, it doesn't matter that they are mentally capable. They're going to struggle more because they can't sit through a long math lesson. And so these little things that we're doing here are really building it up so that we can offer these beautiful, wonderful math lessons later on and that they can be successful doing that. And some of these concepts Rachel's mentioning that seem so simple are hugely advanced mathematical concepts. Like you use the example of sand play, filling up a bucket. When we're going past quantity, we're talking about volume, weight, and measurement. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to explain that that's what's happening either. You don't have to put all that language to it yet. It can just be enough that you realize that they go pick up that heavy bucket and they go, oh, mommy, heavy. Yeah. You know, like, mm-hmm. you don't have to say, yes, the volume of that bucket is very, you know, like that part will come later. Just it let them have that experiences. Mm-hmm. Yes. Let them have those meaningful experiences. 
my daughter right now loves to ask me to join her in the bathtub. I have quite a bit of volume on me. (laughs) I get in the water and the water level goes up and she is delighted. She's like, oh, so deep. She loves it. I'm not going to bother telling her that my mass has displaced (laughs) the water in the tub, but I'm loving seeing her get excited about that and to say, oh, did you you see what the water did? I'm not putting mathematical language around it. I'm not going to quiz her on it later, but I guarantee that experience is something she's going to subconsciously go back to when she has those lessons and whatever grade later Mm -hmm. down the road. You know, like it's just, it's so much more simple than we think it needs to be. Yeah. And it's also incredibly complex when we talk about it Mm -hmm. and we sit about, I'm like, oh my gosh, look at all that we're doing all day long. And I think a lot of times throughout this podcast, we preach on and on about just real world hands-on experiences. And it's no different here for math because I think that we feel like all of a sudden it changes like Montessori is cooking and it's practical life. But then like, now let's get serious. (laughs) Now we actually have to do math. It's the same. And I think that that's so cool. And it just gives me so much I don't know, respect for all the things that we do. Now, when we hang out with our children at home all day, we can be like, we are math teachers, actually. Yeah. All of us. So hand me a diploma. (laughs) As far as mathematical language goes to, we're using phrases on a normal basis, more or less, right or left, up or down, high or low, in or out, big or little, large or small, heavy, light, full, empty, same, different. Near, far, under, over, open, close, here, there, fast, slow, today, yesterday. I mean, those are just like basic ones. That it's mathematical language that, again, we're just using on a normal basis that's setting up that foundation there. Yeah, for yeah. these concepts. Yeah. These are big mm-hmm. concepts, like more or less. It's addition and subtraction. Mm-hmm. That's multiplication and division. Right and left is order of how to build a number or attack an equation. Yep. You know, like these are simple words. Like you said that you're using as a teacher, I'm using as a parent, you're using as a listener every day, all day. And they are crucial to the development of the mathematical mind. Yeah. And I mean, we're doing lessons smallest to largest. Even if it's only like three items, you choose the smallest item. What's the next biggest? What's the largest item? And there they look on their rug and they see like right now I have a snowman lesson out because it's January and it's it's only three cards, the small snowman, a medium sized snowman and a large snowman. And you just you line them up smallest to largest or some children may line them up largest to smallest. And that's fine, too. It's still the sequence there of the sizing of it. It's grading. There you go. Now, notice she did not include in that list add subtract plus minus multiply, divide, like the actual math terms that we're thinking of that are going to come much later. That's really not necessary from zero through easily, easily four, honestly. You could even argue some of those words would come even much later than that. Mm -hmm. But more, less, those are perfectly appropriate terms at this age. As far as actual skills developed, that probably most toddler programs would say that the math skills that are developed are exposure to that one-to-one correspondence and exposure to the rope counting. So counting one, two, three, four, five, and one to 10. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. And that just happens because a lot of times I have an object transfer lesson. So scooping pom-poms into like an ice cube tray. 
scooping one pom-pom, scooping two pom-poms, and I'm just scooping all 10 pom-poms into the one-to-one place in the ice tray. So there's one lesson right there. Simple, you have pom-poms, probably you can go to a craft store, buy some pom-poms, an ice tray, very easily purchasable, very cheap, and a spoon. And you can scoop the pom-poms one by one, one one-to-one correspondence into that ice tray and you're counting out loud, you're scooping the pom-pom, they're seeing that one-to-one correspondence. Same with posting, putting an object into something. So a lot of times I'll take like a box at a craft store, cut a little hole in the top and post like little coins into them. And one coin, two coin, three coin. And again, you're doing the same thing. It's that one-to-one correspondence. Only one fits in that hole at a time. And you're just counting aloud and they're just hearing and seeing that one object going in. And then you you open, look at all the coins in there. I also have this really cool see-through box so you can see what I put in there. I'm not sure where I ordered that from, but it's cool. Predicting patterns. So I do have some pattern workout. That's typically going to be for my older children, like my children who are almost three or three who are kind of showing me the readiness signs of children's house. Let's see, exposure to numbers, which I've already said. All you're doing is counting aloud, really, for them to have that exposure. We're not expecting them to count back to me. It's just for the exposure of hearing and seeing me with the objects. I want to make a point to say that. I always have something in my hand counting when I'm saying a number. One, two, I always have the hands-on experience with that, the concrete experience. I think it's important to know at this point, numbers very much in terms of quantities, not the numeral itself. So Rachel's not holding up the number two and saying two. She's holding out her hand with two objects in it and saying two. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So it's not the numeral representation. It's the actual concrete in your hands Mm -hmm. representation. We will get to the numerals. Yeah. Yes. That will come later, though. It's not Mm -hmm. necessarily appropriate or necessary that they can identify numbers on paper right now. Definitely not in a toddler environment. Exposure to concepts of routines, um, periods of the day. In the morning, we do circle time. In the afternoon, we have nap time. In the evening, we have bath and bedtime. You can also discuss seasons, and that's kind of the sequence of the year and how that happens. So that's the concept of time well before their reading time on a clock or doing elapsed time or anything that's going to come much later in the elementary years, just understanding the passage of time in general. And again, seasons, I'm not asking, what are the seasons? It's not anything like that. It's just talking about, hey, we're in the season of what? And what season comes next? It's kind of, we're using that same language again, just for them to familiarize themselves with the language and just the sequence of how the seasons go each year. And I think really, I feel like I've explained everything is one-to-one correspondence in really just the transfer of materials and having the things in your hands. It's just the concrete experiences that we're allowing them to have and introducing to them. I do want to say before anyone is nervous, because I feel like there is sometimes this rush, like like I said, we want to do right by our kids. I promise you this really slow process, if we go through it, a typical child will be doing, you know, four digit operations into division in the ages three to six. And then when they go on into elementary, they're doing like Pythagorean theorem. They're squaring, they're doing roots. Like it is so 
dense and so beautiful that I promise if you're patient and you lay this solid foundation, you can go really, really amazing places. We're not asking you to just see what happens, but this is a purposeful, developmentally appropriate way to approach math for this age group, and it will pay off later, I promise. Yeah, a child in Rachel's class that isn't even looking at the numeral two is leaving my class in third grade doing long division with multi-digit divisors in a way that I didn't even touch until probably early middle school. You know, it will catch up quickly (laughs) if you lay the correct foundation. And I just want to say, Rachel went over quickly some of the kind of lessons and materials she might be using for these two major skills, which again is one-to-one correspondence and some simple rote counting of one to five or one to 10. If you're interested in other ways that you can achieve that at home, first and foremost, I'm going to be honest with you, as a trained Montessorian, I all the time will just Google like posting work ideas or like posting projects at home. And you can find simple stuff like take a piece of cardboard, get a little X-Acto knife, poke a bunch of holes in it and give them Q-tips to poke into the holes. You know, like there's so many things that you can Google. You also could always reach out to us and we would be happy Mm -hmm. to give you more examples. We all were anxious going into tackling these topics, like Megan said earlier, with the understanding that these are so visual and so hands-on and just talking about them at you guys is so the opposite of how we would approach anything. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. We would never do this. But our hope is that you can take away the basic understanding that, especially at this level, it's simpler than you think. It is also way more complex than you think mm-hmm. in doing these simple things. It takes time. It takes patience. It doesn't take fancy materials. And we would be happy to guide you through some more hands-on examples if you feel like you need to know them. Yeah. But yeah. also just like cheat hack. You can Google some of these works, posting, object transfer, predicting pattern, Google a number song, you know. And I feel like the great thing about what Rachel has laid out for us is that it does give you a good understanding when you do go to buy things. So when you see that puzzle of numbers, of numerals, you go, that's not for this age group. That's not for us. But if you see a puzzle that is just a simple puzzle that's one to one, that puzzle might be for you. So these these concepts I think are going to help in your search. So just as you're searching, keeping these ideas in in your mind because it is simple and if you have an idea of what you're looking for and what you're not looking for you can get pretty creative with it I feel control of error is another big one I just want to make sure that we state again yeah that's huge thanks for mentioning that when you are looking for these things because like we keep saying a puzzle right but like a jigsaw puzzle where when you take all the pieces out it is just free for all, like any of the pieces could fit anywhere, that wouldn't be appropriate for a toddler. You would want something where they're kind of large, chunky pieces that only fit in specific spots. Like the puzzle makes a sailboat and the triangle can only go in one spot, right? It does not fit where the square piece goes. That's a control of error. That's something that you don't have to sit there and explain to them, oh, that that, that you could put that there, but it's not going to fit with the next piece. Like that, that would be lacking a control of error. Yeah. So for a posting work or lesson, so you have a box, you have a hole that only maybe is going to allow a coin to go in. So if I give them Q-tips, the Q-tips are not going to fit in that hole. It's the control of error. Only the coin is going to fit in. So you have to be mindful of that. Or if I am going to do a Q-tip, then I need to make sure the hole is cut differently so only a Q-tip can fit in and not a coin. 
Right. It's only the width of one yes. coin or one Q-tip. Yes. So that you said it is making it have to be one the to one. one. To one. I'm not cutting a big rectangle in it and then watching them dump three coins in yeah. because all three technically can fit. Yeah. So that's where we're talking about control of error being so important at this age. And when you're looking for or, or making those materials yourself, which again, so many of them are very easy and inexpensive to make. I don't have math materials in my classroom. Yes, now there are wooden Montessori materials that all these companies have created that are school buys. But in my room, actually, I just have a lot of things that I have created um, or like object picture cards. I typically make those and then buy the objects to match or I take actual pictures of the objects in my classroom and then print out those pictures and laminate them and put them on my shelf. So a lot of it is things I'm creating too. So don't feel defeated when you're like, oh, I need those materials. For toddler, you don't, you really, and and we're going to give you a lot of other examples in children's house, elementary. Yeah. I mean, when we talk about like the three to six age, I'm not giving lessons until they're four Yeah, in any bath material. Now we'll get into how the practical life and sensorial areas have math concepts that they are indirectly getting, but like direct presentations with math materials is not happening till four. So if you have a child younger than four, you can make your own materials and experiences that, you know, can be pretty cheap. So I guess, do we, do we wrap up? Well, yeah. Do you feel like, do you think that was helpful? Do you think parents of toddlers will listen to that and be like, oh, okay. Like Megan, I want everyone to kind of breathe that sigh of relief. Like mm-hmm. I'm already doing it. Yeah, and, already doing and if I've been overdoing it, then I can like step back. It back a little bit. Yeah. Like I don't have to, I really don't have to. It's all good. Chill out. That's what we're going to call this episode. Chill <laughs> out everybody. <laughs> I love that name. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, so I feel like that was a good, okay. Confession. Like the time, and we can, yeah. Let's let's confess. Let's move into confessions. <laughs> oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> let's finish out the show with a segment called "Confessions from the Wild." What do we have to share? I can start if you want me to. Yeah, I do. So tonight, I put my infant down. We go downstairs. I have to finish doing the dishes. I was finished packing lunches. I have like this hour window now between when I put my infant down to when my toddler is even okay to go in his bedroom. He like doesn't sleep now, I feel like. But anyways, at least he'll go in his room and lay down and look at books and stuff. So I have this like hour where I'm like, okay, I got do, 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 do. So, um, but I go to the pantry really quick and I grabbed an Oreo and I like stuffed it in my mouth really quick so he didn't see me. <laughs> and then I go over and I start doing my dishes or whatever. And he has his little Tony, he's listening and he's dancing and he looks up and he's like, mommy, what's in your mouth? <laughs> God, caught. how do they always catch us? They know. I was like, Oh, broccoli. <laughs> Literally the first thing that came to my head and we had broccoli for dinner. So I was like, oh, broccoli. As the chocolate cookie crumbs are like staining and your so teeth. And so for a second, he like kept dancing. He was going and he looked again. He was like, open your mouth. <laughs> and I like started laughing and I opened my mouth and he was like, you have an Oreo cookie. I have one. I was like. Oh, dang, I got caught there. So busted. I got busted. Do I need to refer you to our lying episode, Rachel? (laughs) Yes, you do, actually. You do. I feel like this should be our uh, PSA that we are just giant hypocrites. (laughs) Don't listen to anything. Total hypocrites. Don't listen to anything we say. We actually lie all the time. No, it was really funny. Then he actually didn't even want one when I offered it. But I didn't even mean to say broccoli. I think I was just like, oh, oh crap. What did I do? Just panic. Yeah, you go to panic. And then, yeah. 
I did not have broccoli at all in my mouth. <laughs> I didn't even eat the broccoli we had. I cooked for dinner. <laughs> Only my daughter ate it. Nobody else ate broccoli here. What am I saying? That is insanely relatable <laughs> for me, Rachel. I feel like I'm always hunched over a counter somewhere <laughs> sneaking something. And trying to get her to be so much healthier than I am. I just want better for her. Don't eat the fries and the Oreos. Oh, God. Who else has got something? I do. Um, (laughs) I told you I'm solo parenting right now. And I get very scared when I'm home alone. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) For long periods of time. And I have this toxic trait of just validating all my fears with the content that I consume. Mm. Oh, gosh. So I have fallen down this rabbit hole of this account called her name is Anti-Matrix. And I've already sent Laura some of these and she reads stories about people who have had like these experience of glitches in the Matrix. Oh, and these like yeah. crazy things have happened to them. Dude, I have not stopped thinking about <laughs> the one that you sent me since I'm you sent so it to me. Sorry. I'm, I'm so really glad sorry. you haven't sent it to me. I know oh well, because I know Laura likes weird things like I do. <laughs> I do. And I, I do. forgot. So it was one about pregnancy. Mm. And as soon as I sent it, I was like, you don't send a pregnant woman a crazy story story about pregnancy because it was like it was a happy ending but it was a little little scary there for a second it's traumatic before you get to the (laughs) happy ending yeah (laughs) and I was like so I messaged her and I was like do not watch this video I will send you a different video and I'm like too late (laughs) she was like I'm doing it three times because I Megan have the same sickness (laughs) yeah and so I keep watching and I believe now Every time anything happens that I am experiencing a glitch in the matrix (laughs) (laughs) constantly. So yeah, I'm scared all the time and I need to stop. But that's my confession is that I haven't stopped (laughs) and I'm just walking around just like looking over my shoulder thinking that that I've jumped dimensions. (laughs) Totally normal (laughs) adult way. To carry out your life. Yeah. You know what? I was torn between two confessions. One is very similar to that. The other is that I am an adult woman who is so easily influenced by my friends, especially you guys. <laughs> that oh I literally, God, what did we do? <laughs> just in this week alone, I have asked Rachel where I can find birthday balloons <laughs> and like <laughs> how to do it because I don't even, I'm like, whatever Rachel did is what I need to do. Just, Rachel just needs to walk me through it, which reminds me that last year for their birthdays, I was like, what did you do for goodie bags? Can you just give me the link to everything that you bought? I did that again if you need that. <laughs> I, I absolutely do. Thank you. Yes, I will be in contact. I'm sitting in front of the second monitor that Megan 100% sold on. <laughs> do you remember her talking about getting another monitor? Yes. She posted about it in our stories. She was like, it changed my life. You can't live without one. Do I now have the exact same monitor? Can you live without one now? Not anymore. Not <laughs> anymore. Go. I can't. So that's just a little bit sad for me that I like, cannot <laughs> think or function for myself without direct input from you guys. At least you have two really good influencers. It's true. It could be way worse, right? I'm very fortunate that I at least have always sought out really good <laughs> friends if I'm going to be completely mindless. Libra, who's like, what do you like? I like that too. (laughs) (laughs) I like whatever you like. Um, (laughs) But Megan, you have inspired me to also share that I have a similar sickness. I've always had a passion 
for true crime stuff. Like there was a period in high school before it was cool, everybody, where (laughs) I was like, "Mm, do I want to be like a forensic pathologist? Like, do I want to seek out the FBI and do something specifically with criminal deviant behavior because I'm so fascinated by it? Obviously, I did not, but <laughs> you went in a very different direction. Yeah. Now totally you're here. Different. <laughs> totally different direction. It doesn't stop me, though, from consuming hours and hours of the most horrifying documentaries and series and just you name it. I've seen it and I love it. And as soon as I'm alone in the house or anywhere that I go, I just 100% assume that murder is looming around the corner. See, and that's the thing is I get I get scared about that stuff too. And I like, you know, I lock all my doors and I do all of these things. But how do I protect myself from jumping dimensions? <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. You're so screwed. <laughs> I, I can't help you there. There's nothing you can do. I will send you another one. It's not scary. It's just weird. There was this woman, this mom, who she goes to a secondhand store and buys these little frozen Elsa and Anna shoes for her daughter. And she's looking for them. And they're in like a basket downstairs. And she's like, how did these get down here? She goes upstairs. The same exact pair are upstairs in her daughter's room. But these are secondhand. So they have like writing on the bottom. Both sets have the same writing on the bottom. They're broken in the same place. And she's like... She had them both in her hands. In the video, she's like holding them and she looks so confused in it. She's like, I just, I can't, I don't. I, can't. And I, I was watching it and I was like, I'm sweating just talking about <laughs> it. Cold sweats. <laughs> and Dude. so, yeah, now I'm afraid. Like anytime I pick up anything that's my child, I'm like, did this come from another dimension? <laughs> did this come don't from another to- <laughs> dimension? I love it. So I've, I've had weird stuff where like you lose the remote to the TV and you search under that couch cushion 15 times in a row, mm-hmm. go upstairs, complain about yeah. it to your husband, go back down, lift up the couch cushion, and it's there, there. right? Yeah. But I assume that it's a ghost. Like, I'm 100% <laughs> haunted. It's a spirit messing you, with me. I thought you were going to say, I just figured, like, I didn't look well enough. Like, I'm just being logical, but like, no, it's a ghost. Absolutely not. It is a spirit. So none of game. us are rooted in reality. <laughs> well, Rachel all. hasn't shared anything half as crazy. This is why we're friends with Rachel, because <laughs> she needs to bring, she's like, you guys. Rachel is our anchor. Back to reality. Back to the name of this episode. Chill out. Back to reality. I'm singing a lot last night. Like, I mean, last night. Here I go. Oh, see? There's a glitch in Rachel's Matrix. There was a glitch. Yeah. There must have been a glitch. Okay. <laughs> now I got Taylor Swift coming. I know. We can't talk about Taylor Swift on this podcast. <laughs> it's going to get heated. Megan doesn't want to get into that. <laughs> some, there are some hard feelings around Taylor <laughs> Swift and two of the three co-hosts of this podcast. <laughs> oh my gosh. This is spiraling. Okay. <laughs> okay. Who's wrapping up? I guess it's going to have to be. I am. Oh, are you sure? Oh, God. It's my turn. Okay, you it's better do my it. my turn. You guys got to do it. And it is my turn. I am a host, too. <laughs> they are literally hiding. <laughs> I can only... <laughs> Because you can only see the top of She's going to stumble through this for 45 minutes and blame us. So I'm just I'm just preemptively I'm removing blaming, myself from the equation. I'm not blaming you. It's the matrix. Okay. 
Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Montessori Moms in the Wild. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow us, subscribe, review, and rate. We are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Google, and iHeartRadio. You can follow us on Instagram at Montessori Moms in the Wild or email us. <laughs> I was so close. Or email us at Montessori Moms in the Wild at gmail.com. Every time I get kind of close, I'm like, I'm doing this. So well. psyching yourself up. I'm like, yeah, girl, get it. We'd love to hear from you until next time. <laughs> Yeah, girl, get it. We'd love to hear from you. Stay wild.